So I just came back from a vacation. I was in Charleston, South Carolina with my wife, my mother-in-law, and my mother-in-law's best friend. And I took a lot of photos. You know, one of the things I had talked about was that uh, concept for a zine where I do one roll one day. And I kind of dumbed that down to one roll <laughs> over several days. Uh, but one of the things that I, uh, I I did was I took a lot of photos. And I was thinking, you know, on vacation, that's when you can do the one photo one day. But then... They're vacation photos and they're not practiced. And, you know, I was thinking through all that. But one of the things that I did while I was on vacation was I started doing something that I, I've i been doing uh, before. I actually started doing it back in the digital days, probably around 2012, uh, maybe even earlier than that, 2010. And that was shooting stereo photography, stereo photos, uh, 3D photos. Um, and what I do to take the photos, and it really works much better with a digital camera because there's no, there's no advancing the film. There's no focusing and all that. Well, there's focusing, but there's no advancing the film. But what I do is I take a picture and then I just kind of sway to the right and I take another picture. And, <laughs> you know, I, I just sway a little bit and it's, and I move about three to four inches, you know, about eye distance and then just take the photo. Now, if I'm using a rangefinder, I can put that rangefinder patch right over something. And so I get, you know, a pretty good, um, you know, similar coverage with those. And, and it works fairly well. I, I posted several of those that I had done with iPhones um, from Charleston. And uh, I, and then I have some on the on my film camera, uh, or some of the film. I developed eight rolls today. I would have developed ten, but I lost the, uh, the timing for the E6. I had two rolls of E6, and uh, I lost the timing on that. I... I uh, got a new iPad and the times didn't switch over from the old iPad develop app. So I, uh, so Nick, uh, thank you very much for helping me out with those times because Nick went and got his instruction sheet and now I have that, but this is all a long ramble, uh, getting towards the question. Now, one of the reasons why I quit doing stereo photography and 3d 3D photography was, first of all, um, only about half the people in the world can really free view a 3D photo. If you, so if you put two, two images side by side and you just kind of let them float over each other, I found only about mm -hmm. half the viewers can really do that. Um, and I can only really do it about half the time. So yeah, there, <laughs> there we go. go. <laughs> so I, I decided, I mean, I did a whole bunch of stuff. I, I figured out how I can put, you know, in Photoshop, I can put text in there and I can put text behind different objects and it looks like it's sitting, you know, at a certain distance away from the camera or a certain, you know, layer within the image, um, just by playing around a little bit with it. And, um, it, you know, it's something that I enjoyed, but in the end, I just kind of decided that it was a gimmick. 
You know, it that it really is a gimmick type of of thing, and it didn't do what I really wanted it to do, which was, hey, this is a 3D image. Look at the 3D image. People kind of get the the 3D gimmick from it. And I started thinking about some of the other gimmicks. So, like, HDR is certainly a gimmick. Um, Cross-processing, solarizing, oversaturation, uh, sprockets, uh, panorama. I think that they're really all... They have a certain gimmick to them. And, you know, they each have their place and they each have their followers. So here's the question of the episode, Nick. What is your favorite gimmick and which one do you never want to see again? Okay, that that's a good question. Um, uh, the thing the thing that immediately occurred to me is that the, the idea gimmick basically is a slightly disparaging way to describe Absolutely. a sort of a sort of trick of the trade and it's only a gimmick if you feel a little if you're looking down at it so to speak <laughs> right right so so all, all of those things that are, are i think that they really only become gimmicks when they're when they're sort of overdone or done gratuitously in other words if you make it hdr because that's just what you do as opposed to because that's the the way that image really ought to be, which hardly ever is the case. But, you know, that HDR is something that can be done really well. But I'm going to start right in and say that bad HDR would be the, the gimmick I hate the most. Okay. And that, you know, that's when so much of the uh, t- dynamic range is sucked out of the image. Um, and by that, I mean, there is no more shadows. There's no more highlights. You know, Right. It's just this kind of coloring book world that, that you see. The sky uh, really and like inside the cave are the same color, same yeah, value is just, really what it is, right? right? And right, yeah, and it, and it's just annoying. Um, I don't like that. Uh, that's a that seems like a waste of time to me. And I I've never seen an extreme version that I that I liked. However, a little small dose of HDR, uh, you know, can be really good. I mean, and we all sometimes you know lift the shadows a little or whatever just to make the image more interesting or <clears throat> more legible, but yeah, that that's extreme. Is extreme version of that would be my least favorite. And then, well, what gimmick do I like uh, most? I mean, what of the ones you just listed, the one that seems the least gimmicky is probably my favorite, and that is panorama. So, I really like panoramas a lot, and it's true that it's not always the best format or or field of view or what what is the right term aspect ratio sure. to use for for an image, but it's if you take the time to to find the right images for that aspect ratio i think it's really powerful um it 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 does something so a lot of the standard formats kind of vaguely approximate the field of view of a person who's like looking straight ahead and not moving their head you know or their eyes sure just sort of looking ahead we see a kind of a an oval rectangle you know in landscape mode because unless we're lying on our side and then it's portrait mode but you know we see this shape that's sort of like two to three or four by five it's in that range and uh panorama forces you when you look at it to turn your head or your eyes back and forth it makes it it takes that photo away from being kind of about the person's field of view 
and it sort of presents you with a big chunk of the world that you have to inspect. It, it, it sort of changes the script a little bit of how you view it. And I find that really appealing. But, you know, you do have to compose to make it work. It's, it's not easy. So I guess that's the way it could be a gimmick. So it would be easy to overuse it or use it inappropriately, and then you can disparage it. Uh, but I, I think it's a great one when you, when you don't. Sure. No, I'll, I'll agree with you. I, I'm a big fan of Panorama, but, um, and in fact, I had that, uh, Fuji point and shoot, the DL 500, I think it is, uh, that has a Panorama mode. In fact, it's, it's kind of stuck in Panorama mode. And I, you know, I, I shot quite a few rolls through it. And then I just kind of went, you know, not everything works in panorama and I, I just had to back off just a little bit. I kind of got too much of it. And, uh, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, it, once again, you know, part of it is it, just what you said. It's a gimmick when you have too much of it or it's used inappropriately. Oh, so there's a DIY uh, element to this, which is that now I'm using this panoramic 135 X pan uh, aspect ratio, uh, panoramic film back that I cobbled together and it is great because you can have that in your bag it's not all that big it's just an RB67 roll film back and when you see something that deserves to be a panorama you could just pop it on the back of your uh, Graflock camera and shoot a panorama without you know getting caught up in that thing where you're trying to use up a roll and take a lot of dumb ones and you know so um, what do you say we start the homemade camera podcast sure This is episode 23. Are we tr- episode 23? Or is this... No, this is episode 24. I don't know what episode it is. We... we uh, uh, episode that's, a, numbers, that's a landmark. Yeah, right. Um, uh, episode numbers <laughs> are... Uh, uh, yeah, okay. I'm not sure what episode this is, but it is, we are sure, our first anniversary show. Uh, this will be released on April 7th, uh, 2019. And we did our first show, or we released our first show, April 7th, 2018. So this is our first anniversary. And so we wanted to take a little look back uh, and talk about what it was that we learned in the last year. Because I, I I don't know about you, Nick, but I'm not the same camera builder as I was when we started this podcast. Yeah. No, that's definitely true. And... and and talking with you every two weeks and, and more often than that has been a big help in kind of figuring out what the heck I'm doing. So. Right, right, exactly. And uh, also, uh, you know, getting guests on and talking about, uh, you know, uh, the other people's builds, you know. Um, uh, Johnny Sisson of the Classic Lenses podcast that you were just on, right, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. It came out today, and I think we recorded it yesterday. It was there fast. Yeah. Um, anyway, Johnny Sisson um, was uh, talking about, on one of his podcasts, um, he was talking about the um, the creation of a 
panoramic view, and I think it was six by seventeen or six by eighteen, using a mm-hmm. um, uh, a laser cut dark slide on a four by five camera, and you know what <laughs> that. That to me, I, I think that that's a brilliant idea. Um, I mean, I I, I want to try it with thirty five millimeter um, on a uh, on an RB sixty seven back, you know, um, or you know, it, I bet do a uh, laser cut of a dark slide for for one of those. I think I have a spare dark slide too, um, an extra because you're going to need two because you also need one right. so that you can get the the thing onto the camera without exposing the film. Right. And then you'll swap the dark slides. I think there may be a real interesting fact a feature too, because there'll be a little distance between that frame and the film. So there might be a, a, a thin border of diffuse light around the rectangle. Oh, right. It might actually look kind of cool. Right. Uh, right. Be interesting to see that there, there should be some diffuse yeah. light around the edges because of that gap. You know, uh, I don't, I don't think I need, uh, you know, like a real dark slide, because I've uh, played around, I've made them before, so uh, I'll just get some mm-hmm. uh, some thin brass or aluminum or something, and uh, uh, and and build one myself. I don't think it'll be a big deal. The big deal will be, of course, reducing the burrs. If you're gonna, no, that's not that hard. I, I can yeah. help you with that. You just need, yeah, you need a just need a really fine file. Um, right, right, uh, but. But the the th- or 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 like an emery board or you know I have uh, I, I, a fine I just, sandpaper and a stick yeah. or whatever. Yeah, I just bought a bunch of sandpaper I, up to three thousand grit, so I oh, think yeah, I'll be good. Perfect. Yes. Yeah, and a popsicle stick, you're all set. the The thing is that it now occurs to me that who needs a rectangle? I mean, you can make any shape. You know, you want oh, dog bone shaped pictures? Stars. <laughs> I think I need stars. <laughs> oh, stars. Stars upon stars. Oh, man. Stars. Instant, yeah. Instant campaign button, you know? Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. So this is some of the stuff that we learned in the past year. <laughs> we learned it tonight right. just talking to each other. So so, uh, so, what did you learn, Nick? What did, what did you learn in the past year? Well, I tried to th- I figure out what I learned, and I, I wrote a big list of things builds that took place and it's much longer than i expected i'm not even going to read it um and then i tried to kind of reduce it into main lessons and these aren't things i necessarily learned just in the past year but what's going on is this making these cameras for me it's just enjoyable and i actually do hope to create some cameras that are ideal for my use but another part of what's going on is it all started with the adapted lens experimentation and really what was going on is I'm trying to find the right tools, processes, mental attitudes to get pictures that I really like. So, and the way I do that, the way my background is, is it's an experimental for me. I just keep trying different things until I find what I want. So this is, this is kind of where art and science meet, you know, when you just try stuff and, and experiment and, fool around and that's so that's to me the main value of all of this and in what i'm trying to keep track of are you know what are the successes or what are the things that really seem to be helping so that i can focus on them and and you know skip some of the other stuff um so i'm going to give a little list of the things that i decided over over the past year really came into focus for me as being important to, to what images that i like okay so the first thing that really matters to me is I think that what lenses contribute 
uh, to an image and, and the character of the feel of the image. That's very important to me. That's high on my list. Uh, the good news is that it, that it turns out expensive lenses aren't the best. <laughs> it's actually fairly cheap lenses that seem to make me the happiest. So that's good news. Uh, and um, then the other thing I've found in building cameras, really it brought home to me something you hear people talk about all the time in shopping for cameras. But when you build them, it really brings it home that the way the things handle, the way they the way that you have to manipulate them to take a picture is very important to me as well, because, you know, much as I'm willing to use a tripod when it makes the difference, I, I, I use them, but I really at heart am someone who just likes to point and push the button. And so, and I like I, to try I'm, and I'm completely kind of capture momentary, yeah, capture momentary things. Um, even if I've waited all week for them to happen, I still, it may only be a brief moment and so so that quick handling matters a lot to me uh it turns out film transport matters a lot but in a different way in that i'm really hooked on interchangeable backs i really like the idea of not being forced to just shoot you, you know i might it might be smart to use one film for a project but but being able to change mid-roll um to a different format or a different uh film or whatever is extremely useful to me i really like that and along with that, I still I'm maintaining my connection with combining digital and film and shooting both side by side at times. Uh, so, so I'm still in the make life more complicated for yourself camp, and <laughs> and in, and having interchangeable backs and lenses is sort of a way to try and simplify the process of making things too complicated. If that makes any sense. Sure. Now, I, one uh, of the things let, let me talk about that that interchangeable back yeah, sure. because. That's something that that I've been doing a lot of thinking on because uh, as we've been talking, I want to make a kind of a, not a universal camera, but a, but I want to make a decent homemade camera that, you know, that, that we could guide people to make, you know, a kit kind of camera. And I really think that uh, an interchangeable back is a great idea for that camera um so i you know that's that's one of the things that i uh am interested in but the biggest problem with interchangeable backs is they're big and bulky um now if you think of there is the the one the um mamaya universal um s-shaped back i think that that's a little bit more of the type of back that I think that we could do with 35 millimeter that could really... Oh, I see. The, it, you know, right. it, it, with that just long and thin, and the only thing that is sitting behind the the film gate is just a very, you know, it's just the... the uh, what am I trying to say? It's just the holder. It's just the, the width of the film, the width of the material that the holder's made out of... Um, and, and that's it. And then the cartridge, cartridge shaped space at each end, right? Right, right, exactly. And what? Yeah, and what, I like that too because you can simply change the length of the film gate to go from normal to panorama. Um, right. You know, because it's keeping it's keeping the film off to the side, so it's more compact to put the film like you know really close to the gate, but it also makes the whole thing fatter. Um, 
But if you right. have it like, it doesn't have to be an S shape. It could wrap forward on both. It could be a C shape, for instance. Yes, absolutely. Um, but by getting those film, those film roll holders kind of to the side, um, you you make the camera thinner front to back, which I think could be really would right. be a, a bigger improvement. Yeah, more useful. And they can form kind of handles on the sides for you know left yes, or right absolutely. people to hold on to. Yeah. Absolutely, right. and that's kind of uh, I, I have one of those. Um, uh, 120 Mamaya press kit backs. And I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm going to build a camera around it, but I just have to play with it, uh, some more to, to really think about it and think about how it can get smaller. They seem a little bit bulky to me in 120 size, but I'll tell you, they do have a great reputation. I've never used one, but they're supposed to be excellent in terms of film flatness and transport and all that. They're supposed to be quite good. Another thing that has struck me as a big deal to me personally is the viewfinder experience. And there's kind of two sides to that, but basically I like it. mostly a simple framing viewfinder is the primary thing that matters to me. Like the, the framing experience is what matters the most. And a lot of times for me, that external or cold shoe mount viewfinder works fine because if I'm not super worried about parallax and, uh, and I have another way to focus, then it just, it helps me kind of get outside the camera and be in the world with the, with the picture I'm taking. And I like that a lot. Um, and I also like that they're interchangeable. It's another interchangeable thing that appeals to me. Uh, so if I swap lenses, I can swap the viewfinder and go on, you know, I don't need to, uh, I don't need to, um, uh, use a different camera or whatever. Right. So that's, yeah. I mean, that, that's so that's something that I'm also finding is very important and then the um the adjustability uh of uh the diff distance between the lens and the film that's another thing I find really important so even if it's just a provision to put some shims in there um I have a lot of trouble getting perfect infinity focus in a you know oh, God, camera. Yeah. and having the Having that be a little bit adjustable in the design save a lot of headaches. So that's a big right. part for me. Right. Um, uh, and then I guess what it really comes down to is, you know, the camera that it, we, people say it gets out of your way. And I think that's very much true. But I think there's also a way that a camera can sort of still interfere with you in it, but be in a helpful way. So for me, simple cameras where you have to think everything out. Although it makes me pay attention to the camera, it actually, I think it helps me take better pictures. So it's not just that a camera gets out of the way, because I do dislike complication and, you know, and fussing with too many details. However, if it forces me to always look, you know, be thoughtful about exposure, depth of field, all those things, every time I use it, that's generally beneficial to me. It, it helps me. Um, so, so so describe what it is that that gets in your way in a good way. Can can you give a, a an example? Yeah. Well, an example of that is a camera that does not have automatic exposure settings. It does not have automatic focus. <laughs> in other words, everything's manual and so you have to decide to do it. The camera doesn't do the deciding. Uh and that's not really strictly speaking the camera getting out of my way. It's it's making me do extra work, but if I don't do it and just leave it to the camera, I don't, I take less interesting photographs. Uh, you know, they all look 
the way the camera wants them to instead of the way I want them to. And that, that, so it's like the awkwardness of a simple camera gets in the way in terms of taking a little time and attention, but I find it an improvement in terms of, in terms of the tools, the way the tool makes me perform essentially. Yeah. Okay. So Um, let let me give you, I mm think, I think an example of that. Um, I took two cameras to Charleston. Uh, one of them was my Leica M2 and I put on it my 40 millimeter Summicron that comes with the Leica CL or it's, you know, it's that standard lens for the Leica CL. So I shot that, but the other one was this Minox, um, 35 GL, which is here. Let me, Mm -hmm. let me make noises. Okay. So that is, it's, it's a little fold down. It's a barn door or actually it's, um, it's a drawbridge kind of, um, setup and it is, it's a viewfinder camera. It's zone focusing. And part of the deal is that the, uh, the numbers on the end of the lens are too small for me to read. And so what I have to do is, uh, I, I memorized it, you know, it's three, four, six, ten, thirty, infinity. And, uh, I'm using my glasses right now as I'm looking at it, but, um, so I knew where, knew where the stops were. So I have that and I have aperture and it sets, sets the shutter speed. So, um, that, you know, the focus, that's a good, yeah, that's a very, yeah, that's a very good compromise. Aperture priority is a good compromise. Yeah. So, so the aperture, you know, so I, you know, I was constantly, I was shooting fairly fast film because there are a lot of shadow situations in cities. And so I was shooting 400 speed film in it, I think pretty much the whole time. And, uh, but I had to stop and look at, uh, look at the, the front of the lens. And then I had to think about depth of field and I had to figure out, you know, uh, I would spend a lot of times, uh, shooting it on, um, you know, hyperfocal. So I would put the, um, infinity at, at whatever the, the, um, uh, aperture was that I was using. So if it's at f11, I put infinity at f11, and then I would shoot, and that would give me down to about five feet. I mean, yeah. I mean, great. my God, that's almost everything, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, so what I had to, when I was doing that, I was thinking constantly about depth of field, and I was thinking about it more than I normally do. So even though that slowed me down, it got in the way. It made me think about an element that, you know, I don't think about enough. So, um, that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, part of the deal is uh, how do we design those cameras so that they have that element? Well, it's another good news feature because uh, that means I don't need a lot of complicated electronics in my homemade camera. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Well, you do need so, uh, aperture priority. Uh, so, <laughs> well, no, you do, my version yeah. doesn't even have that. So, <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, yeah, I, I like that. Um, that's basically exactly what I'm talking about. And aperture priority is the best compromise because all you really, you don't have to fret over shutter speed too much and then you kind of get used to it and you realize, oh, it's getting dark. I better look and see if I'm going to, you know, blur this right. shot. Right, right, right. It's not that hard. 
Yeah. So then the other things that were sort of my big lessons are, um, is, well, that's pretty much covers most of it. What it boils down to in the end, it, though, is that I've discovered that the cameras that from the past or f over time, the cameras that come closest to my sort of ideal are mostly press cameras, which is a real interesting because, you know, I've got my dad's press camera from his first newspaper job and it's a crown graphic. I've got a roll of flex. I've got a Nikon F, okay. uh, you know, uh, let, a Micromat. Um, let's, let's stop. So a these second. are all. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, oh, oh, okay. Maybe you're talking about the general ones, but I was going to say, how are you doing a graph flex as just kind of a walk around point and shoot it kind of camera? I know. Well, it has, let me, I let, mean, me let me finish. Let me finish. Line. Let me finish the list. There, there's a, then there's okay, a sure, sure. press and then I've become really connected to those. And now I'm using camera dactyl OG, which is with my, you know, the lens off my dad's press camera. And that's the camera dactyl OG is a, four by five it's basically an old press camera but it's very lightweight and it's pretty much weatherproof and has some advantages so you're asking how right. how i would use the crown graphic as well that was uh, you know reporters like my dad didn't use a tripod they just handheld those cameras they're meant to be handheld right and they they do have a rangefinder so if you're using if you have the rangefinder set for the lens that's on it it works quite well there's also scale focusing and it's possible because of that flip out hood, even to ground glass, ground glass focus on the fly. So they're meant for handheld use. And you look at all those pictures of famous people and you'll see a whole bunch of reporters in the background. And in a certain era, half of them have a crown graphic or a speed graphic and half of them have a Rolleiflex and they're all handheld. Uh, they're all using yes, normal but... or slightly wide lenses. Yeah. Uh, it, so, so. But... But they were also uh, uh, sunburning you uh, with uh, with those flash bulbs, right? They were blinding you. And well, they did. The, you... They did do that, but that was not so much the fault of the camera. It was just the slow film that they had. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Know? Sure. We have sure, fast absolutely. film now. So, absolutely, you can put. Yeah. and uh, I'm generally Tri-X in there, right? Yeah, I'm generally using roll film myself for a lot of this kind of stuff. So that that still keeps modern fast emulsions in the picture. And, you know, it's a little more limited with 4x5. But, yeah, you're right. Tri-X with a, a fairly wide lens, you don't... Yeah, you can handhold pretty easily. So that part isn't really the issue. And they have set up with uh, sports finders that are really fast. Um, my dad took aerial photographs with that crown graphic hanging. Uh, it took him up in a two-seater plane with no doors and a seatbelt and the pilot would just bank way over and he held that camera in his hands and pointed it straight down at the earth <laughs> and fired off an exposure and then had to get that film back out and flip it over and back in and deal with a with a dark slide with the wind whipping through <laughs> no i mean you know it was definitely oh my god it wasn't super convenient but they get, <laughs> they got some nice photos <laughs> Or was it super smart either, you know? Uh, but oh well, you know. Yeah, camera's fine. I, I I guess I guess you have to pay for your art, right? You know, if there's no if there's no cost, then anybody could do yeah, it. Yeah, right? sure. And of course, the Rolleiflex is more, much more convenient, and 35 millimeter is even more convenient. But the point I'm getting at is that these are all kind of robust hand cameras that are fairly versatile. Right. Fairly versatile, but at the same time, pretty simple. It's all manual control. It's all straightforward. And, and especially the old style ones like the Crown Graphic have like mul all kinds of redundancy. There's three different ways to focus it. 
you know? Um, so, uh-huh. so what right. excites me about this is cameras like Ethan Moses, camera dactyl, uh, OG is that that's kind of a modern using modern materials and a little bit of new thinking to go back to that really cool old way of working. And I think that's been what I'm interested in for the last couple of years, but it's really coming into focus as what matters to me most. And it's not just, it's not so much that I see myself running in a, in a pack of photographers, you know, shooting celebrities or something, but you know, for hiking, for mountaineering, for exploring, for just going to the beach, that kind of camera has a lot to recommend it. And again, interchangeable film backs. So, uh, very flexible. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm warming up to mine, um, uh, quite a bit that OG kind of, uh, approach and, uh, and I need to go out and shoot it some more. Uh, as I said, I was out of town and it just, it just didn't seem like a travel camera for me. No, there, that's the thing. uh, But I think that that's partly a matter of conditioning. So remember, I don't know where I was talking about somewhere. We talked about small, uh, little like cameras, like the Fuji X series that people coming from big DSLRs found them awkward to use at first because they're small. But then when your fingers eventually learn their way around, then all of a sudden that's not a problem anymore. And hey, now I have a tiny little convenient camera. Well, it's same kind of thing in reverse. I think with the big camera, it's not heavy. It's just you're not used to having this big thing right. in front of you or right. where do you put it, you know. Um, but there and, are solutions for that. Like I, I, I've been using the... Um, I, there, there are different kinds of, of travel, right? Yes, you know, exactly. If your travel is, uh, you know, you're, you're driving in a car and you get out and uh, do a short hike and then you get back in the car and you travel somewhere else and do another short hike. I think it's perfect. Sure. Uh, you know, you, you take four carriers with you. Right. And... Um, and then you're, uh, you know, so or if, so from that point of view, yeah, or, I, or I do if, see it as a good travel camera, right? Or if you're in the mountains and you already have a backpack, then sticking a big thing in the, you know, in the top pocket is sure. not a big deal. It's more like, yeah, sure, if you want to slip it into your, you know, James Bond suit or whatever, then yeah, you need something really small. But for for a lot of purposes, size is not in itself such a big deal. And with wider lenses, even those big cameras don't have right. to be that big. And for roll film a much smaller version can be built. And that brings me to the the uh, M-Press, the Mamiya Press camera, which is too bulky and has too many things attached to it. But I've been wanting to to take one and, and you know carve it up and make it as small as possible. Um, so something along those lines. And then the most recent camera that I picked up is a, three and a two and a quarter by three and a quarter um, century graphic. So that's a plastic crown graphic from... Graflex, and it was made of some really durable, right. solid plastic, and it takes the small roll film backs, Graflex standard, and takes RB67 backs, and it'll take any of the small, lightweight press camera lenses. You can't use it with uh, really big lenses, and the lenses need to be in a shutter, but other than that, it's extremely versatile, and it is really small. It's starting to be I mean, it's not pocket size, but it's not something that's a hassle, you know, and it folds up to a little solid little box like a turtle. It can't get hurt. Um, so you can just stuff it in a pretty small bag. Um, so that's starting to find like the sweet spot between, you know, the big press cameras and something that's easy to take everywhere. 
Oh, yeah, okay. So are are you done with your your list? I'm sorry. We'll we'll Yeah, that's my out. list of of what and basically what or I'm saying. Have, okay. No, all all it's summed up is is I learned some things about my own preferences and I kind of got a clear idea about what kind of cameras to build next year and what I want them to do and that's very helpful. Um when I started on this process, I was wor- I was working with the Mercury cameras and they kind of take you in the other direction. That's a camera that it's like endlessly adaptable and can turn into a thousand different things, but none of them are perfect. They're all like, you know, dealing with the fact that it's such a flexible system. So I was still at that stage sort of trying to make everything happen. And now I'm able to kind of narrow it down and say, okay, these are the things I'm going to focus on for the next year. And it's, you know, the interchangeable backs and kind of press camera style, um, compact, lightweight, uh, easy to shoot, simple, mechanical, that that stuff. Well, okay, so um, uh, it, let me run off that to th- one of the things, you know, wh- what I'm going to be doing in the next year. So I, I designed and uh, still have for sale on my Etsy shop. Um, I still, I, I, the 24 squared, 35 millimeter square format, uh, uh, pinhole camera. And I, I designed that fairly early on. I mean, and it, and it went through a lot of iterations. So it, you know, it's old from that standpoint, uh, just through iterations. But I think the basic starting point is a starting point that I don't plan on using in the future. And that, and that starting point is mold as much as you can in that first print, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, make that part as complete as possible and, you know, and limit the number of different parts for Mm -hmm. it, you know, uh, and. Yes. Okay, stop. There we go. Okay, so I got to it. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, I don't know whether you heard that. That was my alarm going off again it's, for some reason. It sounds like heavy breathing. Um, yeah, okay. So, uh, okay, so let me get back uh, with what I was talking about. So you're tra- you were talking about limiting the number of parts. This is your old starting point, right? You, you, you wanted to print essentially yeah. a camera with a few things you attach and you're done. And you're starting to think more in terms now of allowing there to be more parts if it gets you out of jail later. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Not not only that, but I think that I can build a more sophisticated camera mm-hmm. with more parts, but more reliable. Right. Okay. So, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was I wanted a shutter that was, uh, it, it, that was magnetic. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, you know, I built one and I think it's effective. The problem is the feedback that I get is it's a little bit too effective that those magnets are too strong. And as you take the, the shutter off, it's very difficult to keep the cable or the, the camera stabilized. So, um, so that's something, you know, so I have to, I, uh, I'm in the process in my head of designing a new camera. And I talked about it, uh, with our, uh, uh, in our last episode when, I, uh, when Ethan was on and it's that hybrid, uh, wood and 3d printed, um, uh, materials. And it, you know, it's essentially, um, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll build some brackets and I'll slide in some wood and that'll be the front and the back and the sides. But the functional stuff will all be 3D printed, but I want it to be a little bit more of a visually attractive device. And uh, I, I think wood is, you know, entirely appropriate for this. But I have to think through a new shutter uh, mechanism and I, I have tons of different options and you know uh, there are, you know everybody has a slightly different approach to it um, and, but I you know there are certain things that I would want I, I want it to be able to be actuated by a cable mm-hmm. release and you know and, and, and all these things that I'm I'm thinking through and and I have not come up with that shutter yet. I have everything else in my head and half of it in, in in the 3D design. But I haven't come up with how to do that shutter exactly the way I want it to. You know, so, you know. I was think I've been, th- uh, so, uh, I'm sorry, I've just been thinking along those lines, the shutter really bothers me too. But I think that there is something to be said for cocking or self-cocking, but, but shutters where something other than you actuates it if you're going to use a cable release Um, okay then you're then you're stuck with one shutter speed so maybe you can make one that does either or like that you can disconnect the spring if you don't want that you know that might be good right right well i'm thinking of a hold open um oh auto auto close it would be sprung hold open auto close yeah that's a good idea right 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 so i mean because you know it, it there, there are very few exposures that are going to be long enough where, where you need a, you know, a locking um, shutter release. But you know, but they exist, and and they're they're not a problem uh, in and you know for any fashion. So uh, so I can I can do that. So ma- so uh, I have so an idea I, I, for that. I, I have an idea for that um, that that may or may not be helpful. Uh-huh. But the a gravity powered guillotine shutter that you lift. And to open and release to close might not be that hard to make work like that, but I'm still trying to figure out how that would work with a cable release. All right, I'll, I'll make right. a note. Okay. okay. So, so anyway, the, my purpose, my point on that is I've gone through the simplest build concept, you know, where fewest parts concept. And now I'm willing to go through and design a ton of parts to make it work correctly. So part of what that does, you know, some some of what that does is it slows me down. It slows me in how many builds I can make. Uh, I'm going to have to iterate more parts. So it, it's, it's a, it has a little bit higher level of, uh, of complexity but I think that it'll be, uh, you know, a, a better approach. And, and so, if you if you make so those elements fairly modular, you won't have to keep redesigning every single part of the camera with each iteration either. So, yeah. Right, 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 right <clears throat> yeah. exactly. You know, um, and there's, you know, I mean, uh, I, I, I had uh, a film advance that worked on the last iteration of the 63, so I don't think I have to redesign that from scratch, and I'm using a variation of mm-hmm. it. So that part I think is working because it's gonna, uh, what I'm building is a 120 camera. Mm-hmm. So and it's a 120 normal view pinhole camera as opposed to a 120 
wide angle pinhole camera, mm-hmm. which is what um, the the market is satur- saturated with. That that's the the, the common thing. So, and I think so. That's and I'm I think working, I'm, working I'm coming with. to the opinion that I, much as I like wide angle pinhole, I think that pinholes seem to look the images seem to look better to me. The closer you get to the subject, and that that that's also equivalent to using a longer focal length you know that sort of the more it the is, more you get yeah. in tight that the more the impact and, and contrast and just i don't know general kind of tooth that the image gets uh to me anyway yeah 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 i'll i'll agree with that um the the one thing that is um started to bug me is not you know uh we talk with normal lenses about you know uh an image getting soft at the corners well what's kind of bothering me with the wide angle pinholes is the streakiness that you get at the mm-hmm. corner things are so elongated mm-hmm. with those really super wide angle lenses that they just start to streak and and that visually has been bothering me mm-hmm. so um you know, I mean, and I'm not saying that it should bother anybody else. It's been bothering me. Sure, sure. Uh, so, uh, you know, people people are doing good work with that stuff. And that, you know, uh, let me let me talk about something that I learned about photography in general. I think it's somewhat along the same lines as what you talked about, where the lens is the important thing. Uh, and to me, the image is more important than the camera or the lens. Sure. Okay. So to me, the image is more important than the camera or the lens. And that's something, um, it's, I, uh, when I first came to Flickr, I would name a picture, uh, I would, you know, I'd scan a picture and I would put in the date. Okay. So it would be, uh, you know, uh, July 28th. Uh, scan number 43, you know, that, that whole thing. And then I started putting in the name of the camera, the name of the lens, the name of the film, the developer, and then a serial number. So uh, I would get a bunch of different points of information on there. And I just, as I said, I just went to Charleston and I took these two cameras and I'm going to probably be able to tell but one of them has a 40 millimeter lens and the other one has a 35 millimeter mm. lens. And you know what? I may not be able to <laughs> yeah. tell. And and so I didn't. I usually, okay, when I would shoot a roll of film, I would scratch into the emulsion on the end. I would scratch into the emulsion, the film and the lens. Or excuse me, sorry, the camera and the lens. And then, so when I developed it, I would have the camera the lens, the film, and the developer, I'd have all that information. And I would write that on the print file negative sleeve. So, and and then when I scanned it, I would give it that serial information. And, you know, all I put on, I just developed uh, the, the, you know, the, the six rolls of film that I shot in Charleston and a couple of other rolls of film. And, I, I, I'm, you know, I didn't put down the camera because I didn't have that information because I decided not to get, have that information. And I'm okay with that. I don't need to tell somebody 
what camera I was using. That's not the most important part. And for a long time for myself, that was one of the most important parts, you know. So I would think, oh, that, you know, a, a uh, or, I understand it's a learning it's a learning process. And the reason that I usually put all that information in my Flickr postings is because I appreciate that other people do and that I can learn things maybe without spending money by looking at that information. By looking but on up, the other hand, right. a lot of my favorite photographers put absolutely nothing about any of that. And I like that too. It's um, because then it's like, I don't have to worry about that. I can say, what a great photograph, you know, right? <laughs> what a great image and the heck with right. all that. So I, I see both points of view. They're both valid. Um, you know, I, you know, and part of it is reproducibility, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I, if I see an exceptionally good picture on Flickr or Instagram or something like that, I want to be able to know, I, I want to know how I can reproduce that. And often it's, you know, move to Hawaii, right? Sure. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's more important, uh, get a model, uh, shoot a model. Don't quit shooting, um, uh, mold, you know, and mildew on a wall and start shooting people. That's how I get that shot. So your, right? your plan is, is uh, to go hire a model and dust. fly to Hawaii. And I, I think that sounds like a per- perfectly fly to Hawaii yeah, and find a, find mildew on a wall. That's exactly what I'm looking for. No, I mean, it, you know, it, it's, uh, and for a long time, you know, I mean, I, I have the philosophy that, uh, the lens is way more important than the body of, a camera, you know, and I always laugh at somebody who would list the camera body, you know, shot with a Nikon FM3, you know, uh, but then never list the, the lens, you know, that Nikon FM3 could have been shot with a, a Vivitar, you know, and it could have been shot with, uh, a Nikkor and it could be, could have been shot with a Sigma. It could have been, you know, yeah. It, and then it, there's, those are all different. Right. Lenses. And then there's a whole other level, you know? which I've found from my own practice. I know perfectly well when I look at an image that I'm not seeing the output on, uh, when you look at a film image on a computer screen, you're not seeing the output of the camera. You're seeing this, the post-processing right. skills of somebody with a lot of software <laughs> because I can, I've taken, yeah, I've taken or, or no sc- scanned film you know? that looks just like complete crap and tweaked it into something really great, you know, using that software. And that could have been a crappy photograph out of almost any camera in the first place. <laughs> you know, it, I, I'm not saying, I absolutely am not saying that, that the camera and lens don't matter because they do, but trying to figure out what was the most important input in a given image is really kind of a mugs game no matter how much you know about it because they're so complex right, process right exactly yeah yeah one, one of the i remember specifically when i was getting back into film i would go to Flickr and i would look up the film stock and i remember seeing this film that i didn't know and it was fuji acros 100 and i remember looking you know going to Flickr and typing that in and looking at this incredible night shot of Tokyo, my God, you know, it was an, it was an incredible night shot of Tokyo, but, and there was no way I was going to get it because I wasn't going to Tokyo. Right. Mm. And I don't do night shots very much because 
because uh, you're asleep. You know, sun goes down, I go home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right, exactly. Because I get up at five in the morning, That's right? Really, why? So, um, yeah, right, right, exactly. I could shoot at five in the morning, but then you know, you'd be late for I work. Might drive the car off, <laughs> right? Yeah, those sure, long, right, long right. night exposures out of a car so. are not my favorite. No, yeah, oh, they can be cool. They can you be, know, but uh, they yeah. can be cool. So, so anyway, uh, my my point on that was I was seeing. One thing that you can do with that film, I okay, I you know where I really got, I got uh, uh, suckered um, was I there was somebody I was following who was doing, and I, I I think he was interviewed on one of the podcasts I listened to, but he was doing this incredible work in state or 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 federal parks or national parks using a box camera Mm -hmm. and i thought oh if he's getting that from a box camera boy i need to get a box camera so i went out and got a box camera are you are you Uh, it was crap are you by any chance talking about one one of my favorite photographers that i follow on instagram and have bought a zine from is this guy who goes by conspiracy of cartographers and he uses... Oh, no, no, it wasn't Eric. All right, well, no. he do, he does use box cameras pretty frequently and take yeah. fa- fabulous landscapes. And he almost always uses beat-up, you know, old, out-of-date film. And he sort of does everything to make things apparently harder. And everything he gets wrong, really... Right? And he just churns yeah. out beautiful images, like one after the other. <laughs> right, so, right. Yeah. I agree, I agree. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it wasn't Eric. It was somebody who was working in the Northeast. Ah. And Eric's in the Northwest. Right. So, uh, you know, uh, and, but, but yeah, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, but anyway, he, this, just some incredible work done, you know, with a box camera that, that this guy knew how to operate mm-hmm. and he knew how to get the right image. So, so let me let me just say again that that one of the major things that I learned this year was that the image is more important than the camera or the film or the lens or the developer or anything else. Mm-hmm. Uh I you know, I when I look at a picture and I really like it, I want to know that information because I want to add that to my arsenal, mm-hmm. right? Um but but that doesn't, you know, that doesn't mean I can do it because often I can't. So, so and I have to, uh, I, yeah, so, go ahead. So what you just said sort of connects with what I've been thinking, which is that w- since the image is obviously more important than anything else, then what I'm looking for is a camera that makes me pay attention to the image, not to the camera. And even though, and, and, and that doesn't mean it's automatic at all because very important to the image are things like aperture, depth of field, focus, and shutter speed. Those are important, but mm, there isn't much else that's important to the image. You know, maybe maybe a choice of film or you know something like that. But so the camera that only presents me with things that help me think about the image is one that helps me focus on the image, and that's that's a, I think that's pretty significant. I think that's an agreement between what I've sort of learned and what you've learned. They take us to the same same place, really. Yeah.
thing that is really incredibly hard, I think it's our Achilles heel, is that a reliable shutter for a homemade camera is pretty much, it's the hardest thing. It, it is, I mean, uh, other than designing optical lenses, which uh, I think that we've kind of, we've kind well, of. Well, no, no, we'll put it off but, a couple of years, that's uh, all. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. But shutters, a reliable shutter is, it's really, it, it's the, it, it's the thing that is keeping us from really, it, it's, it's keeping us from designing a, a 35 millimeter camera that uses uh, existing lenses, like assistant mm-hmm. lenses, you know, adapted system right. lenses. Uh, so yeah, one of the things, you know, if, if, if you skipped ahead or you, you know, if, if you didn't listen to some of our uh, podcasts, I guess from maybe a couple of months ago, we were talking about the, the issue of shutters uh, based on um, what Frank, Franco, Franco Zeffirelli. Is that right? Um, the guy who is, I, I don't think I have his name right. The guy from Pontiff. Oh Camera. no, that's not his name. Um <laughs> uh, Francesco <laughs> Raffaello. No. Raffaello. That's definitely one of his uh, names. Okay, there we go. Uh so uh the <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad we can edit. You know, I'm I am really tempted to not edit anything out on I think this it's podcast. A, uh just it's just a for good fun, idea. You know, and so just, and that means I can go ahead and make weird noises and everything now. All right. All right. Yes, okay. exactly. Just don't fall asleep. Uh so uh, okay, um, Raffaello, yeah, okay, so Raffaello, uh, came up, uh, he was talking about this idea of creating a commercially viable, um, uh, camera, and, and it, it, with interchangeable backs, and you would have a film back, and you'd have a digital back, um, and, you know, you could have different, Film, you know, you could have three or four film backs, and you could have a couple of digital backs. I guess you could, you know, uh, maybe they, they they would have a monochrome version, you know, maybe a black and white version, or or you could have different resolutions or or ones that have different uh, qualities. But uh, it, what he was saying was one of the things that was stopping him, and also the reflex folks have run into this problem. And the problem is using the uh, commercially available shutters because Copal, the only company that's making shutters these days, is at a point where they need a million dollars in sales in in order to entertain the the possibility of, uh, of working with them. So right now you need a million dollars in sales in order for the shutters to be used. So so that is stopping us. That's stopping us from uh doing short runs, small runs, uh small batch cameras. Uh and 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 we're we're reliant on um either homemade curtain uh, curtain-based focal plane shutters or were reliant on uh, leaf shutters built into cameras 
it's very difficult because, you know, everything else in exposure is something that we can control. We can, you know, you, it, Waterhouse stops are the easiest things in the world. I just uh, put Waterhouse stops on uh, a series of uh, Lumen Box cameras um, that I've that I've been working on, and they're they're dead easy, and you can make different shapes, and you can get different effects with different shapes, and and they're 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 a whole bunch of fun, and but they're dead mm-hmm. easy. Uh, so that type of thing can be controlled. Uh, you know, if you don't want to do waterhouse, waterhouse stops, you can do, uh, you know, an adjustable neutral density. Uh, it's that part is taken care of. The, the part that we can't do is the shutter. And, uh, so we, we both kind of put in, uh, our little outline of things that we learned this year. Uh, I put in the shutters, the hardest Thing to reliably design and you put in a decent modular shutter will set us free and i think actually you know i think that needs to be a t-shirt <laughs> uh, but but uh you know it it's it's really you know it, it's true I and mean, and you know I'm, I'm sure there's somebody who who can take shutters out of moribund cameras and uh you know and take a ten dollar uh, I don't know, uh, X series Minolta and, uh, and, and pull the shutter out. But, but that's a difficult yeah, thing. I, you know, I, I actually want to give that a, a try with a couple cameras, but I have found, um, recently I, I, I picked up for 10 bucks, the Hulk of, a, of an old four by five speed graphic and the shutter on that. It's so big and so basic that it looks like something that even somebody who uses more like blacksmith carpenter tools like me could make a decent shutter. It's it's really a ingenious design, and I'm going to take that apart and try and turn it into a big bulky modular shutter. But I think in the process, maybe I'll figure out a solution for a simple focal plane shutter that uses that kind of. It's like a long continuous window shade, and you wind it up, and the farther you wind it. You, you see a series of slits going by and and they get right. narrower and narrower and at the same time the tension on the spring is increasing so that if you release it it only it only ever goes one ratchet which means one slit goes by and the smaller the slits the faster they move and so you get this cumulative um, increase increase right. in shutter or decrease in amount of time whatever that you know increase in shutter speed number but decrease in in, in the amount of exposure as you wind it up. And it's very simple in principle. And I feel like it's something that would be pretty easy to imitate, even if it's just a simpler version, because it is a little too complicated on the speed graphic. You've got a, too many knobs to turn and figure out and understand. But the basic principle is very, very straightforward. And it looks, and, it, and it's been proven to be very dependable. I mean, a lot of these, that type of curtain shutter can work really well. And I like how simple it is on the speed graphic. It's just this slot going by, you know? So I think there is definitely a possibility by going back to more primitive styles of shutter to make something that's very practical to do yourself. Um, And then we just have to figure out how to wedge it into a little box and, and make it either modular or put it, you know, easy to insert into designs. Uh, I think it's something that is, it's, just a matter of it's just another problem to solve. I don't I don't think it's going to be that difficult, but it will take a few tries. And 
And I think that's yeah. the way. I think it's going to be a curtain type uh, focal plane shutter that's going to be the easier solution than than most of the other options. It's it's certainly going to be less uh, technical anyway. Um, and and sure. then the other idea sure. we've talked about, which is you know just a simple self cocking box camera style shutter for the handheld speed, like a hundredth of a second or whatever. And then and then a bulb right. setting, and you could make do with that. That could be. You know, more than enough for like a small pinhole camera or even just a point and shoot. That could be a great shutter to have as well. So I think those two things would set us up to do a, a great deal. Um, and I feel like having this this ten dollars speed graphic to dissect is going to be a big help because I like to work with real objects. I, I mean, I can read a drawing, but right. it doesn't really give me the feel for what making it's going to be like. As you know, especially when right. something's made of cloth and wood and little screws, that's something I understand. You know, I can figure that out. So, uh, you know, it's uh, we're not there is part of the deal. But once we're there, I think that that I think that the field could just bloom. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that I, I think that that is you know maybe that's the miracle grow we need to sprinkle on our industry. Uh, and so, so yeah, and I we'll, think for the number of people that are getting excited, like every day I see new people starting to build cameras, um, people that I've been following for a long time and were just buy, buying cameras. Right. So what I'm thinking more and more is that these, the sort of hard parts of this process, um, you know, finding the modular solution is, is the answer. And we already have modular film backs, though they could be improved. We already have modular lenses. So really, yeah, that leaves shutter and uh, a few shutters that can be made and like easily inserted into simple designs. That that's a really really good place to start. So Graham had a great idea for something that he's thinking of as a fundraiser and I'm thinking of as a fundraiser, which is uh, that we, we want to put out a zine that has, uh, and it, this could be, a, this could be a, you know, it doesn't have to be an expensive printed zine. This could be a, a PDF digital zine, but a zine that has. And, and that's what, that's what we're yeah. going to do. We're going to do the, at least the first one will be a PDF. Right. I mean, unless somebody wants to publish it. But in the meantime, what we're looking for is people's. A homemade camera, a photograph of a homemade camera, and an image that at least one, at least one image that was taken with that camera, so that it will become a book uh, about homemade cameras and what they can do. And then I think you know other input about how the building process went, what went into it. Uh, I'm not sure. Do we have a limit on what people can submit? No. Well, I was thinking you know for each camera, we want two or three pictures of the camera. So that, that, that people can understand what it is that you made. Now, along with that, we want a description of your build and a description of what it's like to shoot with the camera. So, I mean, I can talk about the, you know, the 63. Uh, I can go through the whole build process on that. But then I, you know, when we talk about shooting, it's not that difficult to shoot, but it's a pain in the ass to advance because you can't see the numbers. The system that I had was seeing the numbers. So that's an example of 
uh, of what you what we're looking for. Tell us what it's like to shoot with the camera. Tell us about the build, you know. And and I want to emphasize, this is not just built entirely from the ground up. We have a bunch of different categories. Uh, you know, built from scratch is certainly one of them. Uh, with you know, built from scratch with only a few existing camera parts or or no existing camera parts. Um, a Franken camera, which is you know uh, essentially taking two cameras, bringing them together, uh, injecting electricity, standing back and saying it's alive. Uh, <laughs> okay, that amused me. I don't know. I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, you know, modification, uh, so a modification would be essentially built mostly from one camera, but you've changed something, um, started with a lens and then you built a camera around it, you know, something like that, you know, where it's, where you built the body, uh, or, or, or an other category. We also have an other category. Um, and Mm -hmm. we ask you to describe that in the description. So. So we've got, and I know, guess there's there's probably cameras out there that fit all categories, you know, in the list too. But right, right, exactly. Yeah. So the the goal is that we're going to accept submissions through the end of June 2019, and then we'll have the month of July to put the zine together, and then it'll be ready to go uh, by August 2019. That's that's the plan. So uh, we have a form. And the ability to upload uh, pictures. So uh, it, it's actually in two separate parts. But it's uh, if you go to our website, it's homemadecamera.com. And then um, at, at the top of the page or when you get to the menu, which is not exactly at the top of the page. But the menu, one of them says it homemade camera zine submission form. And you go to that and it asks for your name, your social media account, the name of the camera. Camera format. Now, for format, we have sub 35 millimeter, 35 millimeter, 120 large format, ultra large format, other, and then uh, just for Mike Gutterman, we have an APS uh, category, <laughs> and then also oh yeah, have... a homemade APS camera. That's a great idea. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and that's for Gutterman, uh, and then uh, we have an instant camera of any sort. And I put that in there just so uh, Graham from Sunny16 can uh, submit the Jalubatel. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if somebody else wants to do instant, they can do. They can go into that category. But you're going up against Graham and his Jalubatel. So right. um, so that is going to be our, uh, our little... Uh, it's going to be a fundraiser. That's the idea. We'll, we'll charge a couple of bucks for the PDF um, and... When we're done, um, uh, you know, uh, with the with the 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 zine, we'll let everybody know and, and send you to to the uh, uh, to where to download it. Uh, and the idea is just you know uh, just to offset the cost of um, our Podbean, which is our um, our podcast hosting. Uh, it costs us about one hundred twenty bucks a year. So yeah, this might my, my turn to pay this year, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh so that's the that's the idea. Um and below the form, just to let you know, below the form is another little thing. And you have to submit the form, then you have to submit the files separately. So uh it's a little bit it's all on one page. 
Um, but it, it'll be, um, uh, it, it'll be self-evident. And if you have any trouble, email me, Graham at homemadecamera.com. And I will, uh, let you know, I'll help you out. Uh, so, so, you know, I, I won't leave you hanging on that. So, uh, so anyway, that's our, our little thing that we're doing. Um, and we're kind of excited about it. We want to see what you're, uh, what you come up with or what you've come up with, or, you know, really kind of, I want to put into one place, just a whole set of homemade cameras so that, uh, so that it can be something more than just us talking about them and you submitting, uh, you know, you putting stuff on the Flickr group, you know, just in one document. So that we have something available for, for everybody to see what we're doing. You know, uh, it, it's kind of our justification, visual justification for our audio ramblings. That's a great idea. Other thing that we have going on is actually something that I have going on. Um, when I first started getting back into film in 2013... I was was slowly kind of figuring out and sussing out what I wanted to do and and uh you know I bought a camera and I I sent the um uh sent the film off to the dark room or somewhere else I think to get developed. I think I explored a bunch of different places to get developed before I started developing it all myself. And one of the things that I did was I Started with Extol. Now, there's a reason why I develop with Extol. I develop with Extol because it is, I'm not going to say environmentally friendly, it's environmentally less heinous, <laughs> okay? And uh, because I, I have a well and septic system, and, you, you know, uh, I can't just go putting toxic chemicals down my drain because if I do that, then I can have trouble with my septic system. So, so I started with Extol, and I don't put, yeah, I don't even put that down the drain. But I, when I first started, I treated it as a one-shot developer, and I was listening to the film photography uh, podcast, and Leslie just made one offhand comment about Extol being a stock developer that you can. Uh, you know, you can, you can use the, the same stock and just use it over and over again. And it developed perfectly fine and you just dump it back in. So I had forgotten about that. I had, I was only thinking about one shot developers for some reason. And, and just that little one offhanded comment Save me a bunch of money, <laughs> you know, because then I could use it. Right. Right. Same, so easier on the planet, too, while you're at it. Right. Right. Exactly. So in that, I started thinking about the podcasts that were out and available. And I realized there was nothing available for beginners, nothing uh, available for people who are just starting out or 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 getting back in after, you know, after being uh, away from film photography for a while, you know, they just say, hey, you know, I still have all this darkroom stuff in the basement, but it's been 20 years. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I need a little bit of a refresher. And so I started a new podcast. And uh, this is not, you know, necessarily for for our audience, but it's, it's for the audience of those people who are just getting back into film photography. And uh, it's called Get Started With Film. 
and it's also it's not just for the the people who uh are getting back in but it's for people who are just new getting in and they they've never had experience before with film photography or or somebody who's been working with um you know maybe digital photography for the last 15 years and uh they you know maybe they're you're a wedding photographer and you want to get into film photography because you have clients who are demanding it whatever that is um i this podcast is for you so um the that's the um uh, you know that's what i am uh you know what what i designed this podcast for so it's called get started with film and right now i have uh, a bunch of episodes recorded and i will it by the time this comes out it will be uh, i'll have probably a dozen 10 or tw- or 12 podcasts out there uh and uh, and i want it to be just kind of an uh, an a la carte you go in and you pick up what you want to pick up you know you go in and uh maybe you don't care about lenses but you want to uh, want to learn about camera bodies uh you know i'll be doing one on film i'll be doing i'm going i'm right now doing a series on buying your first camera because let's get serious that's a big bit of information you know uh, there may be people who say, well, I have this APS camera here and I, and well, that would make Gutterman smile. You know, the, the rest of the world knows that, you know, you don't want to get back in with APS film, um, <laughs> you know, or 127 or 126 or 110 or, you know, or something else, you know, or at uh, least, or at least you don't want to get back into it blind. You want to know what the right. limits are. Right. 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 Exactly. So, I mean, you don't want to go shopping for a camera that you can't buy film for, uh, or you can't, or the only film that's available is, uh, outdated film. So, right. Or hand rolled paper negatives or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so, I mean, that's, that's one of the things that, uh, that I'm going to do. And, uh, I just realized, as you said, that I, I don't have anything for instant cameras. I should mention that in my uh, buying your first camera. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, a podcast. And if you guys know people out there who are getting started, if you could tip them for that, uh, you know, towards that, it's called Get Started with Film Photography, and it's available already. Uh, so if you if you go to any uh, any pod catching software uh you know any pod catching app it's available out there uh i also have a website and it's uh get started with film.com so yeah so that's that's what i'm what i've been doing lately i've been putting a lot of effort into that uh this was spring break and that's uh, a lot of my free free time went into the uh putting that all together so it's a really uh, good so idea. pass it on pass it on yeah you know, let yeah. people know. So, um, so Nick, um, have you been doing anything uh, in particular lately? Any, uh, any film related stuff in the last couple of weeks? Now I've been pretty overwhelmed with work, but I've been tinkering around a little bit with, uh, interchangeable lenses. I, I did that mostly because I knew I was going to be on the uh, classic lenses podcast. Um, and that was I mentioned at the beginning of the episode. It was super fun talking to Simon Forster and Johnny Sisson, who I've listened to for quite a while and 
um, was it just was really really fun to be talking to them right i think you baffled them at times too oh well who knows that that happens but (laughs) (laughs) you know you know it's it's only audio like they can't see the hand gestures so right exactly right (laughs) the the things i'm fiddling with so it's um but anyway that was a a great deal of fun it's i think part of the best part of all this podcasting has been getting to know more people and it just makes you listen more and pay more attention. I don't know. I making this podcast has got me more involved in what other people are up to. And that's been a really helpful thing. So, right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and for those of you who want to go back and if you're not currently listening to classic lenses podcast, he, uh, Nick will be on the one that is released on March 25th. Oh no. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was released today. March 25th. (laughs) Uh, 2019 and uh and, and seriously we they are right along with us um they're doing uh, uh you know they're not talking about building the whole cameras but they're they're doing uh very allied work shall we say well yeah uh, johnny sisson does pretty much the same thing i do he takes parts from different cameras and sticks them together and he has the enviable position of if working in an old and respected cameras company in chicago that sells a lot of used gear so he sees this stuff going past his eyes every day and picks out really interesting bits and sticks them together to make some very cool right uh, new new configurations and i think simon forster's just got dove into four by five photography and large format photography is almost is basically it's basically homemade cameras with you know, kits. I mean, everything about large format photography is kind of a DIY effort, uh, even if you don't make the parts yourself. Right. You're you're assembling something. Um, yeah, you're yeah. almost like recreating the camera every time you take a shot. You know, changing the the angles of the parts and <laughs> right. <laughs> you're, right. You're really in the thick of it. I mean, if you can operate a large format camera, you can build a camera pretty much. Yeah. Absolutely, and it's also worth noting that. Uh, Simon Forster does the large format photography podcast along with Andrew Bartram, who also is on the Lensless podcast. So um, uh, it's worth giving them a listen. Uh, Right now, I've had trouble getting the feed, but uh, hopefully by the time this is out, uh, that feed will be taken care of. But you can get it on the Podbean app right now. And the second episode is uh, is out and I've yet to listen to it. Yeah, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard it yet either because I was trying to get it through iTunes and it wasn't showing up yet. But right. um, That'll I'm sure that'll be soon. Anyway, their uh, their principle is a good one. They're sort of combining your new podcast with mine, only in large format, right? Um, in in the sense, what they're doing is they're um, that they, one of them is the expert, quote unquote, and the other one is the beginner, and they're sort of you know playing those roles um, in explaining the processes, and, that, and that's a, actually a quite a good format. Uh, I agree completely with that. So, um. So, um, Nick, how did, how, oh, do you have a book for us? Uh, let's see. Do I have a book? Um, not really. I don't have a book this time. Um, and let me think. Yeah, no, that, that covers it. That's, 
that's all I really have. I did want to mention uh, one thing, though. Um, but I can't remember what it is, so we'll just <laughs> let it go. <laughs> I took so many notes, I can't find it. But yeah, that's how it Yes, goes. I wanted to announce that I have Alzheimer's, but I've forgotten about it. So... <laughs> No, that's not uh, it. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so we'll we'll we'll. No, that's right. This is the this is the no edit podcast. Exactly. Okay. So uh, if they want to get a hold of you, how do people get a hold of you? Well, so there's a is I believe Nick Lyle at homemade com, camera podcast dot com. Nope, homemade camera dot com. Oh, Nick Lyle at camera homemade camera dot com. There you go. And uh, Avi Nick is my Instagram name and Nick Lyle on Flickr, which is where the bulk of my stuff is posted. And I have all the cameras and homemade contraptions that I make in separate albums on Flickr. So it's possible to go root through those and, and maybe see examples of what I'm blathering about on the show. All right. Um, if you want to get a hold of me, uh, my name is Graham and you can get a hold of me um Graham at Homemade Camera. Uh, you can get a hold of me, uh, Graham at HomemadeCamera.com. And you can see my Flickr stuff. I am at Graham Homemade Camera. And you can subscribe to my new podcast that is Get Started with Film Photography. And let's see what else. Oh, on Flickr, I am Freezer of Photons. Yeah, and I usually like to point to our um, the Flickr, the Homemade Camera Podcast Flickr group. Um, quite a few people who listen to this podcast post what they're working on on that, and there's great a bunch of great stuff. It's it's getting uh, more and more stuff is being posted all the time. That group is starting to really grow, and you've got to keep looking. So there are people building cameras with process shots, uh, photographs of cameras, photographs of taken with homemade cameras on and on and on there's a lot of great stuff there boy there's a lot been added lately so um that's a really uh, another good place to look for uh visuals to go along with our chatter sounds good and uh we want to thank robbie cribs he is the kind gentleman who uh, recorded composed let us use the theme music for this episode and all our episodes. Yeah, thanks, Robbie.
you know, I put, um, uh, um, I don't know. Okay, hang on a second. I just had an idea for you. Yeah, wait, wait, Nick, hold on, hold on. Sorry, my, my dog gets a little bowl of oh, water. That's the... And she is getting that right behind mm-hmm. me right now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it's just a whole bunch of noise, uh, a whole bunch of noise that we can't. Yeah, you have to talk in the exact same rhythm yeah. as her drinking uh, to blur, right. blur it out. Well, I just, um, wait, hold, I, I won't yeah. say anything I, that I, matters I, until she's done okay. slurping. Oh, I think that's okay, it. No, 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 she's I still just going. kicked the ball over. and i'll continue with a whole bunch of categories and in fact actually let me bring it up really quick oh god different you could different categories of uh uh of submission so I put that in there. So, homemade camera zine submission form. Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. You'll have to direct people to that page, too. Right. 